The Friday before the assassination, I had waited for the bus at 141st Avenue and 225th Street, the south stop of our home. I could see our Tudor-styled house with the two chimneys, surrounded by mature trees that had already lost their plush green leaves. My regular routine before school was something I breezed through every weekday morning. About half the time, Joey would cook breakfast for me if Gwen wasn't awake. He never used any of the fancy set of pots and pans that had been purchased at the nearby Alexander's, a newer chain of department stores that were not quite as expensive as the legendary Macy's or Gimbel's. Joey owned a cast-iron skillet that was blackened with the soot and tarnish of culinary catastrophe, a reminder of his life at sea. When he retired, he had purchased it at a Brooklyn Army-Navy surplus store. I was impressed with the skill with which he used while manipulating the heavy pan, flipping eggs in the air while shouting, Let's see them do that at Bickford's, the popular city chain. When he placed my plate of sunny-side-up eggs, black bacon, greasy home-fried potatoes, and burnt Wonder Bread on the table, he announced, Good food, quick service. The Bickford's motto for over forty years. I dreamed of going to Bickford's with Joey. Not the one in Jamaica, but the one near Penn Station. Joey's favorite stop while either coming or going from visits to his aging mother in Torrington, Connecticut. It was what came after the meal that was tedious and detracted from whatever joy I had garnered by watching Joey cook, and then filling my stomach with what passed then for a nutritionally balanced meal. Gwen and I were walking advertisements for Dr. Krieger. Professional advertising was not legal, not even a sign beyond the detailed shingle that hung outside our home constructed to specifications from the American Dental Association, and developed under the aegis of the underling local societies. Organizations wound tighter than the military when it came to enforcing their professional image. It was therefore incumbent upon the other two members of Dr. Krieger's family to have perfect teeth and gums. That meant flossing. A sadistic, outdated, ridiculous system to help the dentist and make my life miserable. Why weren't his cleanings enough? God knows we had our teeth cleaned more than anybody else in town, more than anybody else on Long Island, more than anybody else in the world. But it was this floss thing, this annoyance that sometimes made my gums bleed, that made me pray that the next day I would wake up and find out that it was all a bad dream and my father was really a lawyer, or even anything, to escape that dental reality. A plumber or electrician. I was very willing to give up my father's new Buick Riviera, or Gwen's turquoise Chrysler Imperial, a vehicle so large I could lie down across the back seat. The summer house upstate New York on a rise near Washingtonville called Mountain Lodge Park, and my imagined vision of Francine in her white brassiere. Anything to get away from the floss. None of my friends flossed. I admit that my father's lively historic tales of silk floss from the 19th century the waxed versus unwaxed controversy, and his insistence that James Joyce mentioned floss in Ulysses caught my attention early on. But I had had enough. I hated flossing, plain and simple. Based on my sometimes futuristic readings in popular science, I knew that it would only be a matter of time before science and technology would combine to get rid of one of the brutal trappings of mediocre dental care. With motors that could fit in the palm of my hand, Werner von Braun riding on nuclear rocket fuel, stereo tape changers, home kits to build a personal hi-fi, and automatic weather controls for the car. I knew that dental floss had seen its best days. 
I was awaiting its demise. The bus also stopped a block north at 139th Avenue. Only odd-numbered avenues existed. But if I chose 139th, Francine would already be on the bus, having got on at 141st, and likely be chatting up a storm with one of the other girls. If I arrived at 141st early enough, there would be ample time for a private chat with Francine. Often, Nancy Bamberger would also show up early and try to take over the conversation with her divisive political rants. Nancy's father, Harry, was a lawyer who had run, unsuccessfully, for state congress twice. Gwen used to mock his chances by saying, Did you ever hear of a politician who can't look you in the eye 